I would have not been the person that I am today if for not doing this house, like building this house and living in it. And so I like to tell people like, you almost have to do it. I almost insist that you build your house, but it is going to be hard. It's going to be really hard. You're going to have breakdowns, but it's okay. Have a breakdown, get over it, get back in the house. Welcome to the Tiny House Lifestyle Podcast, the show where you learn how to plan, build, and live the tiny lifestyle. I'm your host, Ethan Waldman. In this episode, we'll hear the tragic and fortuitous building story of Hilary Cazato's award-winning tiny home, Tiny Hell on Wheels. Like many novice builders, Hilary bought a trailer thinking that she'd be able to just build her own tiny house without any outside help, but reality set in and the build ended up taking three years. I'm glad Hillary persevered because her house is one of a kind, full of personality and spirit. But if you ever get to see Tiny Hell on Wheels, the real star of the show is Crusher the Mini Pig, Hillary's pet slash life companion that she adopted soon after finishing her house. Stick around to find out what it's like to live with a mini pig in a tiny house. I said it last week and I'll say it again. Thank you so much for listening to the show. I've been loving seeing your ratings and reviews in Apple Podcasts. At the end of the show, I'll tell you about my signature resource, Tiny House Decisions, and share a coupon code. Your purchase helps me make more episodes of the Tiny House Lifestyle Podcast. Welcome to the show. Today, my guest is Hilary Cazato. Hillary built her tiny house on wheels over the course of three years in central New Jersey. After moving into her dream tiny house, in September of 2017, she bought her road companion and best friend, Crusher the Mini Pig, and traveled over 15,000 miles in over 22 states and Canada. She is currently the event coordinator for Tiny Fest California and Tiny Fest Northwest, and is parked in a small town in the North Bay area in California. Hillary, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks. Thanks for having me. You're so welcome. I think we met at the Georgia Tiny House Fest, and I was so blown away by your house, Tiny Hell on Wheels. (laughs) And obviously, this is a podcast, so people can't see it. But can you describe some of the unique features of your house and what inspired them? Sure. Um, So it's built on a regular flatbed trailer. It's um, 120 square feet. Um, it has a climbing rope. It has, um, vintage, original 1960 Kitchen of the Future cabinets. Um, it has a glitter countertop and glitter stairs. (laughs) Um, it has a nice little three foot deck on the back and more storage than I've ever used. And, um, yeah, I found really creative ways to try and like, stow stuff away and then quickly realized I didn't even have enough stuff to stow away to even need it, which is like a really cool problem to have in the tiny house. So I'm happy about that. Wow. Yeah. And the the kitchen cabinets, I remember just being blown away by them. And then the whole color scheme kind of matches that. I don't know what color that you'd call that, like that your front door is painted. 
Yeah, it's like a like the inside's more of a robin's egg blue and the door is more of like a teal. And it's funny because originally when I started to build, I wanted everything to be like spider webs and bats and, you know, creepy stuff. And I, I was like really into that. And I thought that'd be a really cool way because I hadn't seen anybody's house sort of that themed. And then I came across these cabinets and they were free as long as you pulled them out of the apartment in Washington Heights um, in New York. And I had to have them because they're just like everything to me. And as soon as I got them, I was like, you know what? <laughs> no more black, no more spider webs. It's all going to be this like blue and pink and very retro, very people. People say it's very Miami, which is funny because I've actually never been to Miami, but um, it's like very light pinks and blues. And my floor has a it's hand painted and it has um, flamingos on it. And, uh, yeah, it's very beachy in here, which I never meant to do, but it, it is. That's just kind of how it ended up. Yeah. <laughs> so you mentioned that your house took three years to build. I'm curious. That's definitely on the higher end of, of what you hear. You know, you hear people saying, oh, it takes a year. So how did you stay motivated? And, and you know, what, what was that experience like? Well, that's, that's the problem, you know, because it's like, I sort of fell into the, the theory and I sort of listened to what everybody said is like, Oh, building house is so easy. It's so easy. You don't need experience. You'll be fine. Just do it. I was like, yeah, totally. I can totally do it. And I bought a trailer and shortly after that realized, wait, I don't know how to build a house. This was a giant mistake. So then I had to take a couple months off to take like um, um, carpentry classes at a local at my local community college um, to get a like a little experience. Like I don't I didn't even know how to use a power tool, you know. And I was like, this was huge. Almost at that point, I was like, this is a mistake. Like, what did I do? I've gotten myself into something that I like cannot handle. So it it took a little while to sort of build up that confidence that like, okay, I, I can do this. Um, and then about a year into it, I was, a v it was a very slow year. Like I got the subfloor done and I got one wall up after a year, but it's also like I had two full-time jobs and well, like one full-time job and one part-time job. And, um, you know, it was just on the weekends, so it doesn't, and I'm slow, right? So it, there's not a lot that gets done. Um, and then after about a year, I had a family friend come help me. He was, uh, had a carpentry business and had some free time. And he was like, okay, I'll help you do the outside for sure. And so I worked very closely with him and he sort of taught me, um, you know, the tricks of the trade. So not just like, this is how you use a power tool. It's like, this is how you actually use this individual power tool. This is some tricks and some helpful ways to get around things. And this is how you build a roof. And this is how you put up a wall. And this is how you, you know, frame out a door that it was not a door. It was basically a giant French window. Like, let's turn it into a door. This is how you do it. Um, that kind of stuff I learned from him. So that took a, a couple, like maybe a month and a half. We did the entire outside and I was like, oh, this is great. Moving so quickly. And then um, he was having some stomach pains. And so the last day when he finished the house, he went to the doctor. They called him back the next day and he had um, liver and pancreatic cancer. 
Uh, yeah. And basically, they gave him nine months to live, and he lived nine months. And for those entire nine months, I, I could not even look at the house. This was our house that we built together. Like, he helped me, and he was like my father figure, and he taught me everything, and it was his house. And I, I couldn't even look at it. I couldn't go in it. I couldn't. There was, I, I just was so upset. So I couldn't even, I could do nothing in order to, you know, continue the build. And the whole inside needed to be done. And I just, I couldn't do it. I was, I was too depressed. Um, so then I was actually there the day he died. And I, um, I sort of had this like smack in my head, like pretty much the second after he died, I had this smack in my head. And I think it was him um, being like, what the fuck am I doing? Like, I, I need to be building this house. I like, what am I doing? I'm wasting my time. Like he would want this house to be done. So then after that, I like really was grind mode. And it took me a year after that to actually complete the entire interior. And, um, and I think that I made good time. I probably could have gone quicker if I didn't work as much as I did, but it's also one of those things that, especially when you're a solo builder, you have to have the perfect combination of money and motivation. And it doesn't matter if you have one or the other. If you don't have both, nothing gets done. So it's it's one of those like trying to play dodgeball to find the perfect time that you don't have any work, you have money, and you have motivation. And it's, it's not it, – it's very hard to find that time. So then – like, I think a year was a pretty good amount of time to, to finish the entire interior of the build. And so if, if it comes down to it, I sort of gave myself a two year time limit. And it sort of only took me two years from when I actually started building with Don, his name is Don. Um, that was like two years. So I there was a whole year I had my trailer and learned how to build. But it actually took two years of building. Yeah, and it sounds like between the times that you, you know, when you started and you had no idea what you're doing, so you stopped and then you were grieving the loss of this, this friend, this person that it did take you about two years. Yeah. I'd say it, it boiled down to that, but you know, and you know, I could say that to people, but then when it's like, Oh, when did you buy your trailer? And when did you move in? Uh, three years, you know? So it's like, all right, well, between two and three years, we'll say that. <laughs> right. Well, I mean, regardless of how long it takes, it's still amazing because, you know, I think, didn't you win the best uh, owner built tiny house at, at Georgia Fest? I didn't at Georgia, but um, I went to, I presented at uh, Maker Fair in the Bay Area and I won um, Editor's Choice nice something like that one of one of those awards yeah so I mean, it's it's not like i'm the only one who appreciated the house which is really cool yeah and like it just goes to show you for anyone out there i mean i say this all the time you know if hillary can do it you can do it you know it's like right. they're that's 100 percent right we all come to tiny houses with different skills i came with almost no skills it sounds like you came with almost no skills zero, zero. and you know <laughs> Through hard work and perseverance, you can make it through. Absolutely. And I do tell people that because so I sort of fell into that, like that dreamy, you know, anybody can do it without actually having anything realistic behind it. So I like to tell people how difficult it is, but you can do it. And it's not easy, 
but it's 100% doable. And I grew as a person over those years that I would never have been able to do if I wasn't faced with this like super hard task that took a long time and took a lot of focus and concentration. Like I would have, I'm, I would have not been the person that I am today if for not doing this house, like building this house and living in it. And so I like to tell people like, you almost have to do it. I almost insist that you build your house, but it is going to be hard. It's going to be really hard. You're going to have breakdowns, but it's okay. Have a breakdown, get over it, get back in the house. I mean, there's some days where at your building, it almost feels like you're in a fight with your house. I'm sure you know this because like everything is tripping you. Your drill bits are breaking. You don't have the right screws. And it's like, oh my God. And you're just like, F you house. And you walk away and you're like, I hate you anyway. I'm not going to finish building. I hate tiny houses. And then you have to come back the next day and be like, okay, we both said some things, but. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's usually when I feel like I would remember, you know, especially getting towards like lunchtime or maybe toward the end of the day, you're on some task, you, you cut the board like four times and you keep screwing it up every time. And then you have to be like, okay, I'm going to put this down. And I'm going to try this again tomorrow when my brain is fresh. And then the next day, you just totally nail it. Just like the first right. time, first try. It was like, like, why was this so difficult? Like, this is so easy, you know? <laughs> yeah. that's what, I'm always in awe of construction pros who can put in a 10-hour day doing construction. Because for me, by hour like six, I was just brain dead. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Definitely. If not before that, you know? So it's like you have that combination of money and motivation. But then you also have to have, like, you know, energy. And like, sometimes you don't have it. <laughs> you need full concentration because you're using power tools. So it's it's definitely difficult to find that balance in order to finish your build, for sure. So your house, as if it wasn't already, you know, eye-catching enough with super unique colors and design. But when I met you, you had this adorable mini pig in a little pen <laughs> out front. Um, and that is Crusher. That's so- crushy. I'm curious, at what point during the tiny house build did you say, hey, self, I'm going to get a mini pig as a pet? <laughs> or did this, like, did it not even happen during the build? Um, yeah, not at the build, not during the build at all. What happened was I was, I had gone to a tiny house festival in New Jersey. Um, my house wasn't complete then, but I had gone to this festival. It was in June of 2017. And I found this whole community of like people like like like-minded people like I never built the house trying to join this community I just built it to build a house and then I brought it to this festival and realized like whoa I there's so many people like me who I can relate to um I need to start traveling like these people do right so I immediately was like quit my job you know like got my house finished and I was about I was gonna hit the road so that was June. That was middle of June. And by September I was going to leave beginning of September. Um, and then it was around beginning of August, maybe when I was like, okay, like I'm really going to leave. I definitely need a buddy. I definitely need a pet. Um, and I was like, okay, I'm just going to go to a shelter and get a dog. I love dogs, you know, for sure. And then my mom's like, remember you always wanted a pig. Wouldn't that be so cool if you could get one? And I was like, Oh yeah. Okay. So I just did some research online and you know, if you do any research, it's like, you know, when you buy a pig, it's a total scam. They turn out to be gigantic and it's so sad because that's what I've heard always about pet pigs. Yeah. 
Yeah. And it's so sad because like you want, you want to love this animal and you always do. But then like when they get huge, like I, I can't have a big pig in this house. Like I can't. So it's like, I, I didn't have that option to like take that risk. Um, and then I came across this breeder in, um, the DC area and she ran a traveling petting zoo family run. She loved her animals. She took really good care of them and she bred mini pigs. And I did a bunch of research on her. I read her reviews. She seemed like legitimate and all her pictures were of the full grown parents of these baby pigs and you could see straight up how big they were going to get which was really cool because I you know it's very nerve-wracking to like buy this animal you don't know how big it's gonna get and like there was no way I was gonna get rid of her you know like if I bought a pet that's it I will build my house around it um so I and then I did some more digging and they a new a new litter of pigs, or I don't know what the term is, but um, little piglets were born. Um, they were actually born on my birthday, July 23rd, and they were going to be ready to be picked up in September. And I was like, I don't like that's too perfect. Like that's too perfect. That just can't be. And her, she was she was black, which was my favorite color. So I was like, that's awesome. And I think she was the only girl and I wanted a girl pig after doing some research. So that was perfect. And then, um, all, all the pigs in that litter were, um, like they were named like games. Um, so it was like Pogo, Hopscotch and Candy Crush. And my mom's name is Candy. And I was like, all right, this, there's too many signs that this is perfect. You know what I mean? There's too many. But I was like, no pig of mine is going to be named Candy Crush. Like, she'll be Crusher for sure. You know? <laughs> so you had to remove the candy part and just go with I the Crush. To. I did. I had. I couldn't do it. It's too sweet. So um, so I contacted the lady. Her name is Jill. And I said, I'm going to be in that area September 5th or 4th, whatever it is. Um, do you think she'll be ready by then? And she's like, I think so. Come and take a look at her. And I, I bought nothing. I was so worried that I would jinx this opportunity to get her that I bought nothing just in case it didn't happen. Um, and I showed up just with my truck. I left my house at a local RV park and just showed up with my truck and she wouldn't let me see Crusher until I met the parents and saw the size of them. I was totally in love with the size of their parents and they were, um, I forget how old they were, but they were definitely full grown. And, um, and then I met Crusher and I just totally fell in love and, she was like, you're not taking her until you learn how to deal with her. So I took like an hour class with her and she taught me how to raise a pig because they're very different than dogs. They're very temperamental. They're very smart. They're very emotionally intelligent, which is not something I was prepared for. Um, and there's a lot of different discipline that has to be used. Not so much like a dog because they're a like more intelligent in that way. Um, and then I, you know, I, I was like, this is it. And she let me have her and I took her down and we lived in the tiny house and she hated it for a couple weeks and then she liked it. And now she's only ever known the tiny house as where she lives. So I, I, I don't see her not 
liking it. You know what I mean? Like people are like, oh, is, is, is she uncomfortable living in such a small space? And I'm like, she's never known anything different. So it doesn't, it doesn't affect her in that way. Yeah. And animals generally don't demand like 2000 square foot homes. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. So she's good. And, um, and for months I did not have to pig proof anything because she was very sweet and she didn't really get into anything. Now it's a different story. She's really not welcome in the house during the day because she's very destructive. Okay. And it's only, only because she's like bored. Um, so like one day I came home and she was inside of the couch. Um, I had left her about five blankets on the couch, but she decided it wasn't warm enough. So she literally cut a hole into the couch oh, no. and was in the couch. Oh. And I don't know if you remember in Georgia at all, but I was having major issues with her because she was getting in the pantry and she was eating everything out of the pantry. Like I'd come back and everything in the pantry was eaten. And I was like, oh my God, this is bad. And she was, she was ripping up the floor and she was just messing with everything. And it was, it was a difficult time. And so I had to like really, you know, reconsider things in the house and like what I needed to do. Um, And then she um, slept in the loft with me for, for most of her life. And only like a month and a half ago, did she start not liking it anymore? She's fallen out a few times, which is very sad. And I don't know how she survived because it is a six and a half foot drop. So I don't know how she was fine. And she was totally fine. She's like, it doesn't even affect her. We both fell out one time. She, she like was messing around one day and like tripped and her foot got caught in the net and she was like dangling by the net and I had to like fish her up and then, but she was always fine. And then just recently, you know, I'd put her on the top step and then she'd jump up into the loft. That's how I got her up there. And she started jumping sideways and not straight up and and kept, kept like falling. And I'd have to, I caught her both times, but she was real shaken up and, and she was very uncomfortable to be up there after that. So, Aww. so now she has to, um, so she sleeps on the couch, which stinks because that was my favorite part. We always had our snuggle time. Oh, so sorry. Go ahead. No, she's fine on the couch. I, I, I worry more than it's actually a problem. Like it's not a problem at all. She doesn't It's care. more of a problem for you than it is for her. Right. Exactly. <laughs> so one thing that people who don't live in tiny houses, always seem to ask and are a little bit obsessed with is where does the poop go? And now I have that question for you about Crusher. Is there like a, do pigs go in like a litter box? Like how does that work? Yeah, she did. So for the first like two weeks, she used a litter box and um, I was great. I was cool with it. You know, she was really good at using it. She knew how to use it right away. We never had an accident in the house. However, with traveling, it makes a huge mess to have litter go everywhere. Like I would clean it before we traveled, but then litter was always everywhere. It was everywhere. And I was just like, you know what? This isn't worth it. So I taught her how to go outside and she has not had an accident. And she knows that if she has to go to the bathroom and like, I'm not moving quick enough for her, she just will go in the shower actually, which I'm like, Hey, that's fine with me. That's perfect. (laughs) So they're very, very clean. Um, she does not like to have her poop in her living space. So even if she's, um, like even in her pen outside right now, she has one dedicated spot 
for poop and it's very far away from her because she's like, I don't want it near me, which is really cool. Yes. And also maybe a common misconception about pigs. Right. Right. And it's actually funny, too, because she hates mud. Hmm. Go figure. Yeah. Hates water. Hates mud. I'm like, I think you're a human. I think you really think you're a human. For sure. Your long lost uh, sister. Yeah, for real. She's just too dramatic. She's so dramatic and has such an attitude and talks to me. And I really was not expecting to have this like relationship with an animal. I mean, I couldn't imagine my life without her for sure. But it's just like she gives me such attitude. So we were chatting before before we started the show and you were kind of mentioning that life on the road is really hard sometimes and really amazing other times. And you've done 15,000 miles in the house. I'm curious, you know, what are some of those lows and what what is it that just keeps you moving? Sure. Um, so actually now it's 16,000 miles. Aha. <laughs> it keeps going up. Um, so it's really amazing to have freedom. It's so amazing. Once you get in a rhythm of like hitching up your house and moving, you get in a routine of checking things. So it's like the first couple of times you walk into the house after you've moved it and everything's everywhere. And you're like, oh yeah, I have to make sure things are put away. And, you know, so, so there is definitely a learning curve in the beginning. And then once you get on a rhythm, it's just like, you're always home. And like, for a while I had some social anxiety about leaving because I was, you know, far away from home. I didn't know anybody. I was just traveling on my own. And it gave me this such like this sense of peace to know that I was always home. That if anything got too crazy, I can just go home and lay in my bed with my pig. But I could be somewhere brand new. So that is pretty exciting. And I mean, the amazing places you get to see and you just like live there. So like you go to this beautiful mountain and it's not just somewhere you're visiting, like you live there for a few nights. Like that's that's pretty amazing. That's pretty amazing to get to, to do. And also it just gives you the freedom to stay in one place longer. Like you never have, it's never closed as like, well, I only have enough money for a hotel room for this long. So after this, I have to leave. Like, nope, you can stay there as long as you'd like. Um, I lived in Iowa for a month. I lived in Florida for about two weeks. You know, it's just wherever you end up is that's, that's where you can stay. And as long as you have like somebody who lets you live there, like you can just stay there forever, you know, cause you have your house and it doesn't cost anything. Um, definitely a downside is breakdowns. Um, the truck has broken down. The house has gotten flat tires. Um, I've gotten it stuck many times. God forbid. Here's a true story. After I was driving to, to Iowa and I was feeling sick, I think I got food poisoning at like the, um, like a gas station food. Like what did I expect? Right. But, um, I was driving and I saw this, I was looking at like a satellite map and it looked like this hotel parking lot adjoined with a bigger parking lot. And I was like, I'm just going to park there for a couple hours so I can go to sleep. So it's dark. It's gotta be like nine or 10 at night. And I pull into this hotel and it's a dead end. And I'm like, I have this giant house behind me and this big long truck. And now I'm in a very packed parking lot, very close together. And I have to back out of this and there's an overhang real close to me that I'm not sure I'm going to fit under. And that might be the only way out. And I spent about an hour 
pulling forward, pulling back, forward, back, forward, back, trying to get my house, you know, to swing the right direction. And I was so sick. I had a migraine. It was late. I was tired. And I'm just like, keep together, keep together, keep together. You know, like, so that's really difficult. One time I drove, um, oh, I got out of it fine. Somebody helped me and I about cried because I was so thankful for her help. Um, but then another time I was driving this like sketchy driveway that, you know, if I would have paid attention to the directions ahead of time, I would have known where to turn, but I didn't. And it's really not a fun idea to take a risk in a house. And I got stuck, like I was started to go down this really steep hill. So I had to stop and I can't back up. And after the steep hill goes down, it goes steep right back up and the whole road's washed out. And I'm like, okay, now what? You know, like, I guess I live on this hill now because this is like, I'm, I'm literally stuck. And it took help from other people to, um, like this one other guy was like, okay, you're going to have to like floor it down this hill so you can get up the next hill and turn around up there. And of course, like there's water reliefs. So I'm like, going 60 down a hill with water reliefs and my house is definitely airborne. And I'm like, this is like, what have I done? You know, like it, it, it was crazy. And I mean, it's fine. And then my house was fine. And, you know, I was laughing afterwards and people are like, I don't know how you're laughing. And I'm like, think of this experience. And I came out of it fine. Like I wasn't laughing during it, but like afterwards, like my house is fine. I'm fine. My pig is fine. And we just made it through this crazy experience. So in that regard, it's really difficult and annoying to have a giant house behind you. And the gas is expensive. It's so expensive. Yeah, I always wonder that when I see people traveling in tiny houses. I mean, I can imagine that you're getting under 10 miles per gallon, yeah? Uh, Yeah, more like six. Wow. <laughs> six. That's a lot of gas. It's a lot of gas. And so it's like... You really have to be intentional about where you're going if you don't have, like, a ton of money to just throw around for gas. And, like, as I was driving from New Jersey to California, we're going through um, Nevada, and it's, like, next gas station, 100 miles, you know, and it's, like, oh, boy, I hope I make it. You know, like, I got to fill up. And, oh, of course, gas is super expensive because it's the only one for 100 miles. So it's, like, you really got to plan and be intentional. And it that can be very stressful because even though you have your home, you really don't feel like running out of gas. Like it really is annoying. And I've had my, um, I was driving home from Iowa to, to New Jersey and my, um, my truck stopped working. And, you know, when you call AAA, first of all, people take their time. They don't rush to you when you have AAA, but then also, they never bring the right truck because right. my truck is a dually. So you can't just put it on a normal tow truck. And then you also have to tow my house behind it, which is possible. It takes six hours for them to get there. And then they're like, Oh, we brought the wrong truck. Give me another two hours and we'll get the right truck. Great. So then they get the right truck and they're like, okay, well we actually can't tow your house. I'm like, all right, now I've waited eight hours. Here's what's going to happen. You're going to put my truck on the back. You're going to tow my house behind it. And we're going to get to the local mechanic right now. <laughs> it's Jeez. 2 a.m. I'm done dealing with this. You know, like. <laughs> hey, at least you on the side of the road, you can just go into your house and chill. Yes. Recharge for a second. Because if you if you know, if you're 
if you're in your car, it gets crazy. But if you can like just go in your house and like, you know, recenter, then it's not so bad. But, um, so yeah. And then, and then, uh, you know, my truck was in the shop for a couple days there because, you know, it's not like they can just drop everything and fix my truck right away, you know, and you have to have money for those, you know, breakdowns because they will happen. Now, like I said, luckily I can, I can still sleep in my house and it's, um, you know, just, it was in a parking lot, which is not a big deal. Um, so you still have your home. It's not like you have to pay for a hotel. Um, but yeah, like that's a thing, you know, you have to have money for breakdowns. You have to have time for breakdowns because they're going to happen. So that is very annoying. And it's, it's a lot harder than I thought traveling with a house, but it was, it's so worth it. It's the best thing I've ever done with my life for sure. That's awesome. So you are the event coordinator for two West Coast Tiny House Festivals. Yes. I'm curious, how do you see Tiny House Festivals moving the Tiny House movement forward? Um, well, it can't be stopped, that's for sure. That's it's for moving. sure. <laughs> that's for sure. It's starting and it, it won't stop. And um, sort of out here on the West Coast, it's more towards van life. Um, a lot of people want to do schoolie builds and van life builds, um, which are really cool. And I still consider that tiny houses, you know, cause it's a small space. Um, I mean, okay. So, you know, let's talk about millennials for a second. Like we don't have any money. We've just spent hundreds of thousands of dollars on school. We are not finding jobs. We have no money and we still live with our parents. So, you know, that's not typical. I didn't do that. But still, like, that's the common thread. And then you're going to ask these people to go out and buy a house with what money? With how, how much houses are everywhere you go? Like, you're never going to find a, a house that, like, you need for the price you want. Like, that's just too difficult. And you also can't afford it. Like, most millennials can't, can't afford it. So, really, I spent $20,000 on my dream home and I've never had to live anywhere else. And I hope to live here for a really long time. And in this grand scheme of things, that's nothing. So if people can just save their money for like a year, they can build a pretty amazing house and not have to worry about where they're living, resell value. Um, you know, just the normal things that come along with, owning a home. I mean, I built this, so I know what's behind the walls. You buy a house, you don't know what's behind the walls. It turns into a huge money pit where when you build it yourself or you know the person who built it, it's like there's going to be less expenses that come up. And if they do, they're much cheaper. I brought my house to into San Francisco for Earth Day. And um, first of all, I know, right? Into San Francisco with a tiny house. What am I, what am I crazy? Like, so not smart of me. But anyway, it was fine. Um, I didn't go down any hills or up any hills. But, um, you know, that experience, like people come, came into my house and they're like, how much did you build this for? And I was like, you know, 20 grand. And they're like, that's like three months rent in my apartment. That's half the size of this house. And I'm like, yeah, dude, you need to fucking change what you're thinking because that's that's not. I mean, that's not sustainable. And you're, you're killing yourself working in order to afford this apartment when it's like, it would just be so much easier to 
build a house, find a place to put it and commute and, or just not have that job, you know, like, yeah. Well, I mean, back to the kind of millennial thing, uh, I technically am a millennial and I, I think so are you. And oh yeah, I think it's, it's about embracing a different lifestyle because to your point, the lifestyle that we grew up with and what was demonstrated to us is getting harder to achieve for people in our generation. So it takes kind of breaking that mold and rethinking things and saying, well, I don't necessarily need to live in a big house. I can have a much more enriching life if I, you know, live in a tiny house and save my money for experiences. Right. Exactly. And it's like, you know, there's no reason that we all need to continue the, the cycle of like, go to school, get a job, buy a house, start a family. Like there, it's just, it's just outdated now. It's, it's obsolete. We don't do that anymore. And we need to find a way to, you know, afford the life that we need to live. And I mean, I can't think of a better way to do it for sure. You know, none of us have any money, not that kind of money, at least, you know what I mean? Like, right. Well, it's also the, the debt thing because, you know, nobody has enough money to just buy a house outright, but you know, we saw the housing market collapse in, what was it? Oh, eight and oh nine. And that was for me, that was right as I was graduating college and, and kind of entering the workforce and, you know, seeing people's houses lose so much value and just people just being financially ruined by that also definitely makes you think twice about wanting to sign on the dotted line, so to speak. Right. I mean, think of all that debt. Like I, I, it would, uh, and then again, like to also have student debt on top of house debt, like that's, that makes me have such anxiety to even think about. (laughs) It's like, I couldn't do it. Like I, for me, I was ready to move out of my mom's house but I was like, I'm not wasting my money on rent around in New Jersey where I was. It's expensive. It's not nearly as expensive as like, you know, San Francisco, but it's pretty expensive. And I was not going to waste my money every month throwing it away when I could just build a house for the same price, you know, and have what I wanted and not have to deal with all the stuff that comes with it, like bad landlords or, you know, rent going up for no reason or, you know, things breaking in your house. Like you don't know what's there. So it's like, it, it just, it's not like that whole housing, buying a house, it's just not sustainable anymore. Like it's not happening. So one thing that I like to ask all of my guests are what are one or two or even three resources? So they could be like books, movies, YouTube videos, anything that helped you along your tiny house journey that you would share with you know, with someone else who is just embarking on this? Um, let's see. I watched a lot of YouTube for sure. Um, I don't know that I can like really nail down which one helped me the most. Um, but it definitely, it definitely took a lot of like watching a lot of different things. Pretty much if you're going to do a project, you need to watch about 10 videos on the same project because each one of them are going to do it wrong. 
You know what I mean? Like they're going to do it differently. So you need to like watch a bunch of them and see what each one says. Smart. Um, I don't really think I had a lot of resources that sort of inspired me. I think I just wanted a house and I wanted to move out. And I, I think I had this like intuition that was like, you need to do this. Like, I don't think I really fully understood. I just knew I needed to do it. What was it that kind of made you aware that tiny houses on wheels were even a thing? Um, if I'm going to be totally honest, I think it was Pinterest. <laughs> like, they're so cute, you know? And then yeah. I. The internet loves tiny houses. Oh my God, they do. Because they're just so cute. You can't even take it. And like all the pretty backgrounds that they're in front of, like, oh, it's so great. So, um, and then I, I, I went to a um, tiny house convention like way back in the day. And I actually toured one because I toured about a bunch of them because I just was like, is this really a thing? Is this really some something that people can do? And um, I actually like I toured like 28 foot one, 24 foot one, 20 foot one. And I decided I really liked the 12 foot one. <laughs> they were all too big. <laughs> so mine's a little bit bigger than that. But that I think that's really what what inspired me is seeing, I think just seeing people's lives in them and seeing that like, it's totally doable. But again, I didn't really know the community. Like I didn't do it for the community because I didn't know that there was one. It was just physically to have a house and have my own fingerprint on something. Yeah. And so the community aspect you're talking about just getting to meet other people who live in tiny houses. Yeah. And like that we can all sort of um, relate to one another and we can all hang out and, and appreciate each other's experiences because we've all gone through them. And it's, it's almost like a support group and people to meet when you travel. Like now you have all these friends who do the same thing as you do travel and you can say, hey, I'm going to be here at, you know, this day or this time. All right, meet you there, you know, and that, that happens. I didn't I didn't know that that was even something that could be until I went to that first festival and was like, oh, this is why I built it. I didn't know, but this is why I built it to not just have a place to live, but to change my life altogether. You know, it's all those unintended positive consequences of tiny house living. Right. It's been awesome having you on the show, Hillary. I want to thank you so much for being here. This was really fun. Yeah, no problem. I'm glad I was able to. This is such an honor to be a part of your little show. It's so great. Thank you so much to Hillary Casato for being a guest on the show. You can find the notes and links from today's episode at thetinyhouse.net slash crusher. The Tiny House Lifestyle Podcast is brought to you this week by Tiny House Decisions. Tiny House Decisions is the guide I wish I had when I built my tiny house, and it comes in three different packages to help you get a jump start on your planning. Save hundreds of hours of research and thousands of dollars on your build with Tiny House Decisions. You can learn more at thetinyhouse.net slash THD. We're offering a special discount for podcast listeners. Use the coupon code TINY to take 20% off any package. Again, that's thetinyhouse.net slash THD, coupon code TINY for 20% off. That's all, and I'll be back next week with another episode of the Tiny House Lifestyle Podcast.